know, and do you know what? I don't think anyone's job should involve posting other people's pants. No, no, actually, I think that's just a, a very solid rule of life, really. Hello and welcome to the Country Life podcast with me, your host, James Fisher, where we talk about all things country life and country life. Uh, Today, my guest is the esteemed travel editor, Rosie Patterson. Hello, Rosie. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much for coming on. How are you doing? Um, Well, post our slight technical issues, I am feeling pretty good. Yeah, it's exciting to know that even sort of semi-young people like us can be defeated by technology every now and then. Semi-young. Semi-young, yeah. I think think now that we're both in our 30s, we can no longer describe ourselves as purely just young. Terrifying. It is terrifying. Um, I don't know if you noticed, Rosie, it's quite cold outside at the moment, uh, which makes obviously me wonder about warm places to escape to naturally which means i'm now talking to you so should we talk about some uh, some holidays that you've been on would recommend to uh, our listeners yeah let's do it um i guess the easiest way to start a conversation like this would be to think about bucket list travel so let's start with that what are the places that you want to go to that you haven't been to yet where in the world should we be looking out for rosie patterson in the future Well, ironically, the place that was probably top of my bucket list until quite recently is somewhere very cold, and that was Russia. And I'd always wanted to see Mm -hmm. a Bolshoi ballet in Moscow in the obviously very famous ballet um, theatre house that they have there. Uh, Things have shifted around on the list a bit more since then. I've heard about that. Yeah. Um, Costa Rica is now probably in the number one spot, but I am selfishly waiting for a new hotel to open there um it's meant to open in 2025 it's called nihi and they have a very famous hotel called nihi sumba uh, in indonesia that's yeah. already open at the minute that people might have spotted in the magazine a couple of times from um time to time other than costa yeah. rica namibia and it's something that seems to be becoming more and more popular, especially amongst people who've already done one or two safaris. It's very different. It's got, you might have to correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure it's the oldest desert in the world that runs along what's called the Skeleton Coast coastline. And it's completely, completely different to a normal safari. Super arid, much fewer animals, but the landscapes are jaw-dropping. So they're probably... They're probably number two, um, closely followed by a road trip destination as of yet unknown, unchosen. Well, I appreciate that you sort of assume I'm some kind of desert expert, but uh, I don't actually I don't know if that's the <laughs> oldest desert in the world, but I will take your word for it, that's for sure. Uh, my parents love Costa Rica. They've been two times, I think. Um, and yeah, they said it's absolutely fantastic. There is a certain certain uh joy in watching my 70 year old parents jet off to sort of far-flung exotic places in the world while i'm sort of still semi-start back backpacking around europe but you know i guess maybe that'll be me one day if 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 things go well well you've got to ask ask them where's your invite must have gone missing in the post surely their holiday would have been better if you were there I well, I would absolutely agree, but I think I think these days I'm not invited on the old family holidays anymore, which is which is fair enough, really, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, they love they love the sort of uh, the whole 
the whole country. They love the sort of the wildlife, the scenery, and it's a very sort of sustainable, to use that sort of catch-all term that we love so much, uh, place to visit. Because I think you know their sort of carbon footprint is, or I say there, as in the country of Costa Rica, carbon footprint is pretty low. So you know, a fun one. Uh, let's talk about places that you have actually been to. What do you think? is the best hotel that Rosie Patterson has stayed at? Um, well, it's one you've heard me go on and on about again and yeah. again. It's called Hotel de Cap Eden Rock. Bit of a mouthful. It's yeah. in Antibes, and it's one of those very old-school hotels where the hotel is the destination. I'm pretty sure most people check in and they don't leave until they check out, which is normally not what I like doing at all uh-huh. um but everything is different in this hotel it um it feels different um it's really old school but it feels fun it's got the best people watching in the world it's got the best service in the world everyone who is anyone has been there from churchill to uh-huh. Picasso, Rosie Patterson, churchill. to me yeah. yeah probably shouldn't yeah. be asked in the same sentence he'll be turning in his grave it's where the Duke of Windsor went after he abdicated. It's where Richard yep. Taylor, no, that's really wrong, Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor uh, started their affair and then honeymooned there. Yep. So if walls could talk, it would, um, yeah, it would be pretty amazing. They'd, but that they'd be is, chatting away, yeah. They'd be, yeah, fraternity. That's my favourite. <laughs> Very good. And when when you talk about people watching, what kind of people watching are we talking about? The first time I went, Roman Abramovich was there. So oh, yeah. that's the kind of people watching. But um, people who are in all sorts of industries, you get artists, filmmakers, actors and actresses, of course. Um, it's very close to Monaco. So the old race driver. But I suppose that probably only makes up 10%. The rest are everyday people who aren't famous, yeah. but are just interesting to watch because there's nothing quite like people watching. If it was a sport, it's the only Olympic medal I would win. <laughs> um, you, We were talking in the office the other day about uh, a hotel you went to last year called Melissa, oh, I'm going to say this wrong, Melissa's Andros in Greece. Yes. Could you tell me why that was such a highlight for you? So I don't, I also am not entirely sure how to pronounce it, even though I've been there, but I know it means bee or bumblebee or honeybee or something, something like that. And yeah. it's it's a and b on an island called Andros in Greece. And the island of Andros itself is quite interesting. It's was used to be very popular with merchant families of Athens and the houses have essentially been passed down through the generations. It's still owned by their ancestors so it's very protected they have a say about what goes on 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 the island so there's very Mm -hmm. little development you don't get the beach bars and the beach clubs it's much quieter and a really amazing young woman has built this b&b down a cliffside on the island um all individual little rooms there's only three or four of them and then a communal kitchen where she hosts these supper clubs she brings in really interesting chefs tends to be vegetarian food I'd say it's some of the best all vegetarian food I've had 
anywhere in the world. And she has a little cat and a little dog who are a free range. The journey down is death defying. It's this ridiculously steep, unpaved hairpin bend, go the wrong way and you end up in a donkey field situation. Um, But it just felt really, really special and slightly unknown, which when you've come from somewhere like the Hotel de Cap, which is obviously known the world over, yeah, um, was quite a nice, quite a nice contrast. Did you go directly from one to the other? Or was very was close, system? very close. <laughs> there was a break. Such, I did do some work such a in between. Tough life you leave. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, that's I, good. I, well, I mean, you know, you're the, <laughs> it's, a, it's your job to sort of go and you know find out these things for us, that the humble reader, so we can spend our hard-earned cash on on luxury. Um, without you know, without people like you, Rosie, we'd be bereft. Absolutely, I, I bereft. don't know. Yeah, I don't know how the world would carry on spinning. <laughs> so, when I sort of asked myself this question about my favorite uh, favorite sort of hotel slash place in the world, uh, my answer would have been a place just west of the, uh, Barbados in the Caribbean called Beckway Beach Hotel, which was I went to last year. Yeah, I went to last year and was just phenomenal in almost every single way. Um, and I'd never been to the Caribbean before, and I got there, and I had always assumed that the, the Caribbean, you know, the pictures of the white beaches and the blue water and palm trees and all that kind of stuff was, was you know, something done on Photoshop to kind of sucker you in. But actually, no, it was just as real as the postcard said it would be, and it was phenomenal. But I bring this up not to sort of uh, bore the reader with on nice trips that I've been on, but more because when I asked you what, your least favorite place is you wrote the Caribbean, the rest of the Caribbean, indeed. So, can you tell us why you hate the Caribbean so much and why it's such a miserable, miserable place to go? I don't hate the Caribbean, and it's not miserable. No one come after me with pitchforks, please. <laughs> um, no, I don't. I really don't hate the Caribbean, but I think I went for the first time expecting to love it because of all those amazing pictures you see of it. Whenever yeah. you have a one of those pre-programmed computer screensavers, I'm pretty sure the beaches are always the Caribbean beaches. That's yeah. how amazing they are. And I'm going to massively contradict myself here because the reason I didn't like it because is because there's a bit of a culture of driving into a hotel, driving through an island with a huge amount of history into a hotel, uh-huh. the gate shut behind you and you never leave. And I'm well aware that's what I just said happened at this hotel in Antibes. But that's short haul. You go for a you go for a weekend, most likely three or four nights. This is the Caribbean for most people. It's long haul for travelers from the UK anyway. And it seems like a really long way to go to not engage with the place and the landscape and the people and the flora and fauna and whatever else you want to experience on holiday. So I didn't, it just didn't blow me away. It's not where I would choose to go, but I do accept it's very beautiful. Um, So moving on, like you must do quite a bit of travel. I mean, we've discussed you've done quite a bit of travel. You must have a couple of uh, funny stories from your various trips. Anything you can legally share with us on the podcast? I was about to say, how much fits repeatable? 
And also, how much do I want to... There's lots of things I haven't admitted to, and I don't know who's listening. <laughs> well, um, we just try and keep sort of first names, last names yeah. out of it. You know, that'd be good. Locations, I've, social security numbers, that kind of thing. I've broken a lot of things in hotel rooms. Mm-hmm. I've I've broken baths, a brand new bath in a brand new hotel by... How did you do that? I think I was really excited to be there because I turned the tap too hard and it wouldn't turn off. And the bathroom slowly resembled, well, actually quite quickly resembled a large pond. And they had to send six plumbers up to the room. They unplumbed the entire freestanding bath, rolled it on its side. It took them about four hours. So that was great and not at all embarrassing. I have rammed a toothbrush charger into a socket where it definitely was not meant to be rammed and fused my room. And I'm pretty sure I fused the entire first floor of the hotel. Um, yeah. and, and that was made... at the Camp Eden Rock, was it? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Delight- <laughs> del- delighted you just announced that. Um, yeah, yeah, that was at Hotel de Cap. And I ran down to the front desk in my dressing gown to apologise. And the first thing the guy manning the front desk said to me was, oh, I assume you're American. Make of that what you will. What, because of your sort of wanton act of vandalism? Yeah, I think so. Well, um, yeah, and the assuming the plug would work anywhere and everywhere. Well, I will apologise to our American listeners for that disgraceful uh, disgraceful stereotyping, <laughs> but you have to understand that the, the French dislike us as much as they dislike you. So, you know, another another strong thread in the uh, the relationship there. Um I've got written down here that you've forgotten your underwear in one or two places. Can you explain what that means? This is going swimmingly. Yeah. I'm really glad we're airing. Airing all my dirty laundry, no pun intended. I, yes, I tend to make a mess wherever I go, make myself at home wherever I stay, which means I tend to leave quite a lot of things behind because... They worm their way into cupboards and drawers and under beds. And I definitely have left my underwear hanging on the back of bathroom doors in multiple hotels. So if any of them are listening, I'm very sorry. Please have me back. <laughs> I think my I think it's a sort of uh, long-standing rule of hotels, as far as I'm aware, that uh, they never they'll return most things to you, but they never return underwear. Nope, none to of you it's because, ever been returned. None of it. Yeah, has... but I think that's because yeah, you don't want to be suddenly explaining to your other half why a pair of someone else's underwear has appeared in the post from the hotel that you were supposedly on a business trip at. Absolutely not. No, and do you know what? I don't think anyone's job should involve posting other people's pants. No, no, actually, I think that's just a, a very solid rule of life, yeah, really. I agree. Um, yeah. You once rocked up to the airport a day early. I mean, who among us hasn't done that? Uh, yeah, I was in Nice and I turned up to the airport with a girlfriend who had booked herself onto the right flight on the right day and I made it as far as security and halfway through security it all started to go wrong and things started beeping whenever I scanned my boarding pass. And it turned out I was Uh there 24 hours early. So I had to panic by a new flight because I was due at work the next day. Um, Hot-footed to another terminal on a bus, 
check in and walk straight onto the flight with about 30 seconds to spare. So equally embarrassing. But I did did get myself out of that one quite quickly. Are you, uh, I mean, obviously 24 hours is quite early to get to the airport, but in general, are you a sort of, are you a sort of three hours before your flight type of person or a 45 nope. minutes before your flight I'm type a of person? 45 minutes walk straight through the airport, straight onto the plane with all of my snacks for however long I'm flying. No hanging around. Uh, I, I don't know how people like you just don't have an absolute panic attack every because time I can't to afford to spend too much time in duty-free because then I won't have any spending money for when I get off the plane. Oh, I see. It's just too much temptation. It's the the, sunglasses. uh, You can never have too many sunglasses. (laughs) You get get sucked into super dry, is that what you're saying? Not quite super dry, but yeah, somewhere somewhere in the terminal. (laughs) (laughs) Sunglasses Um, hot. Sunglasses up, yeah, that's a yeah. good one. Yeah. Um, you were telling me as well about a incident with pigeons in uh, St. Mark's Square in Venice. Lovely, lovely St. Mark's Square in Venice, but it is full of pigeons. It makes Trafalgar Square look like a children's tea party. And I, uh-huh. if the children with, were pigeons, yeah, if the children were pigeons, I took a friend with me on a work trip to Venice, forgot. Or at least I like to claim I forgot that she has a very real phobia of pigeons and took her into St. Mark's Square, upon which she had a complete breakdown and had to be guided out holding hands. We haven't gone on holiday well, since, actually, which probably is <laughs> probably why. Too much of a real risk of uh, pigeon attacks. I mean, yeah. I was about to say having a phobia of pigeons is ridiculous, but then I sort of remembered I have a long-standing fear of custard. So you know, each to their own, really. Of custard. Thank- yeah, I don't. I find custard to be quite unsettling substance. But at least it can't fly into your face. It can if someone throws it at you with a spoon. <laughs> Such um, an insight yeah, into think- how you spent your school days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that keeps coming up. Um, you also, and you know, I know, I know this because it's, it happens with unerring regularity. Every time you go near the island of Iceland, a volcano erupts. Can you talk about your relationship with the uh, volcanic gods and why they seem to dislike you so much? Well, I'm not sure why they don't dislike me so much. I don't have anything against them. But yes, it has happened a few times. It's also not restricted to Iceland. I've tried to travel to Sri Lanka multiple times. The first time I managed three nights before there was an incredibly sad bombing attack and the foreign office advice changed. So I had to fly home early. Then COVID happened. Uh, The third time I tried to go, there was political instability. And the fourth time I tried to go, there were widespread blackouts linked to the political instability. So I have given up. I have... A friend is getting married in Sri Lanka next year. I think they're now having deep reservations about inviting me because... Yeah, I was about to say, surely you shouldn't <laughs> be going. That's not safe. I don't actually think I'll get a visa. They'll just reject me at the airport. I'll try and waltz <laughs> out of the airport and someone will be waiting there with a big red cross. No, you're not allowed in. Um, and vol- yeah, volcanoes in Iceland. I have been to Iceland twice. And there has been a volcano threatening to go off each time. Yeah. But I've missed it. I mean, I, each time. Yeah. Well, 
Well, that's why you're here, obviously. I'm still here. Um, <laughs> yeah, and no, I went to Iceland once, but thankfully I didn't have to deal with any volcanoes. But I did have a very real discussion with uh, a bus driver about, uh, I was about to say gnomes, but it's not gnomes, it's like fairies. And there's a sort of strong belief on Iceland of fairies. And he was like, no, we can't go down that road because fairies have been spotted. And I thought yeah. I was sort of on some kind of acid trip and i was like no that's not a real excuse to just not drive that way and he's like oh here it is no we can't go down there like, okay fine no they have huge amounts of kind of fairy tale lore i suppose you'd call it and they did do a study a few years ago and a lot of them still believe in it to a degree or it informs their daily decisions so they've got these things they call the hidden folk which are mm-hmm. benign healers yeah that hide in the fog's shadow yeah so if you go to Iceland on a foggy day, yeah. you have to look out for the hidden folk. And they can intervene in your life apparently in very positive ways, but you shouldn't upset them and you should never vandalize where they're supposed to live or bad things will happen to you. They won't be so benign after all. Sort of sounds like um, our podcast producer, Toby. He's a sort of benign being that lives behind a, a foggy cloud. and It can make your life miserable if you're mean to him. But on the flip side, make your life a joy if you're nice to him and feed him cake. <laughs> Very good. Right. So should we move on to uh, some fashion? Where Where is the fashionable place to go traveling at the moment? Well, on the topic of Iceland, anywhere you can see the Northern Lights, because this year is they call it a solar maximum i'm not a scientist uh-huh. i'll probably get this wrong but this year is the peak year in the current solar cycle we're in so every solar cycle lasts 11 years this year is when the activity is at its strongest so it means we'll get more northern lights in the uk but the further yeah. north you go the more spectacular they will be and iceland is obviously one of the best places you can see them and it's so easy to get to from from the UK especially from London so I think Iceland will be up there Australia and New Zealand are finally back post Covid this is essentially the first year people have been able to go without any restrictions and it's the first time people on a mass scale have been willing to travel super long haul so Australia and New Zealand the Greek islands which became a big thing in Covid they had much more um hospitable covid rules than maybe france and italy did and are still really really popular france because of the olympics and mm-hmm. then the other big one is albania oh, yeah. which is fast becoming the new new montenegro the new place to go along the adriatic it's I wouldn't say it has huge tourist infrastructure at the minute, but there are definitely rumours that some of the big hotel chains have been buying up land. So it's probably worth getting in there now before everyone else cottons on. Yeah, well, that's very that's very good advice. Is there is there any way that's anywhere that's sort of fallen off the uh, the go you know the must visit list of places to go? I think if you love somewhere. You should go there regardless of what everyone else says. Having said that, there was this insane obsession with Japan, skiing in Japan, that seems to have quietened Mm. down. The same with cruising in the Arctic Circle. There was a period of time, and I'm guilty of it because we published a piece on it, but where you 
you couldn't yeah. turn a page in a magazine or a newspaper without reading about cruising in Antarctica. And that seems to have quietened down a bit as well. That said, though, if you want to go, go. I mean, I'm desperate to go on a on a cruise at some point in my life. I mean, I, I'm not really sure. Any cruise? Whether I'll like it. I just, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I think, I think like to get the full experience, it would like, you know, you see the ones on the sort of, you know, those long boats that go down the Danube with lots of people sort of dropping their teeth into their dinners. I think that might be a little a little too extreme for me, but I would like to go on one of those sort of, you know, mega, mega ships and do like a seven-day sail around somewhere, I guess. Where you need a map to sort of figure out where you are on the boat because it's so big. Yeah, yeah the ones that have like the water slides on the top and stuff like that. That would be cool. I... And a search and rescue team yeah. when you can't find yeah, your, when you, your cabin. You get lost in your cabin. Well, I just <laughs> think like, you know, something something on a scale of that size i just find so fascinating i mean i think i think it would be i think i wouldn't enjoy it but i think i would enjoy just having said or having done it if that makes sense you know just actually sort of getting to grips with something that big and so excessive you know it's, it's like a giant floating city a monument to mankind's lack of respect for the natural world in a way it's sort of so freakish it becomes interesting yeah yeah yeah. well um they say if you want to kill someone the best place to do it is on a cruise ship yeah yeah so that's another another piece of fantastic advice that you don't get from any other podcast (laughs) kill Uh, two birds with one stone you get a holiday and get rid of so and so and then yeah and so so yeah maybe delete that bit just edit that down. play some nice music <laughs> we'll over the top um i went wild camping the other month well in the summer last year and i got to say i thought that was a real eye-opener for me as someone who had never really done any type of camping outside of a music festival which doesn't really count as camping i guess um because you're not doing a huge amount of sleeping. Uh, and I got to say, it was fantastic. We did like a sort of small three-day trip around Exmoor in a converted Land Rover Defender. And I wouldn't say it was the height of uh, luxury. It certainly wasn't a mobile uh, hotel cap to Eden Rock. But um, <laughs> It's my next business spot- idea. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if they can put it on a boat, they can put it on a Land Rover. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, there was something about the scenery of the places we went to and the quietness and the stillness i'm assuming it's sort of universal to camping as an experience everywhere but just just for a newbie such as myself i i just completely fell in love with it um i fell in love with it for the two days out of three where it was sunny and not windy i was slightly less excited on the first (laughs) night when storm something or other betty i think it was may have come howling over the top and oh boy it was uh it was pretty difficult was it one of the ones where you camp, the tent sort of pops out the top of the Land Rover or out the side? It is. It was on the top, yeah. So you were sort of, you were really feeling the uh, the wind you blasting felt the wind. You around. I've got, yeah. I'd really like to get one of those old school camper vans that have been converted one day. I just need yeah. to figure out when and make it happen. Yeah, I'm sure you can make it happen. Uh, but that sort of moves us neatly onto our next topic which is we've had a had a wonderful time talking about all the various exotic uh far-flung places you have been but 
as COVID taught us, the British Isles is a magnificent place to go on holiday. So can we talk a bit about some of your favourite places in the UK for, and you know, this is this is a phrase that I actually have a slight uh, bone to pick with, but I'm going to use it anyway, staycationing, where's, where's good? Where did the phrase staycation come from, actually? I think Just to it go was, off on a massive tangent. It, it, I think it rhymes with vacation, but includes oh. staying. So my 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 hot take is that actually, if um, yeah, I have a massive bone to pick with the term staycation because I think it, a staycation is when you book a week off work and basically stay at home and do a bit of DIY and wake up really late and you know clean the fridge and just basically you know have a week at your own home where you're just not worrying about work or travel or anything and i think like even if you you know go down to cornwall for a week i still think that counts as a vacation i don't think that's a staycation i think that's a proper vacation but anyway i digress where's the maestro has spoken everyone pay attention the word staycation (laughs) is henceforth banned i'm just i'm real real fun at dinner parties everyone loves sitting next to me and that's why they all get up the second dessert is finished but have you noticed ever since you told me you aired your views on the word staycation a couple of years ago i have not used it in the magazine since i may have used it online but definitely not in print it's the wild west on the internet so anything goes there (laughs) um where's my favorite there is a new hotel in soho london so really close Uh for londoners it's called the broadwick it is totally nuts every conceivable color wallpaper texture pattern print has been used but it somehow it somehow works it's been designed by someone called martin brzezinski who's responsible Uh for a huge amount of hotel redesigns at the minute but this i think is his best and certainly where it feels his sort of crazy vision seems most effective and I've heard, I don't know if this is true, I overheard people discussing it in the lift at the Broadwick that all of their front of house staff have been recruited out of jobs that were not in hotels. And I don't know why or it's how. A bold, it's a bold strategy. It's a bold strategy and it's and I don't know how it's worked, but it really has because I would say it has the best staff of any hotel in the UK at the moment. And I don't, I'm not normally that complimentary about the UK hospitality scene because I don't think the service is as good as hotels that cost the same that you find in France, Italy, Spain, but they've somehow made it work at the Broadwick. Um, There's a really cool bar. I would 100% recommend, even if you don't stay the night, just go and have, go and have a drink, go and have fun. Noted. Uh, Yeah, I mean... It's quite expensive to go on holiday in the UK, I think. It's ridiculous. And that's yeah. coming from me, and I can normally justify anything. Uh-huh. Spending-wise. Yeah, I know. It's, 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 it's interesting because it's sort of... You sort of feel like travelling around your own country should be a sort of cost-effective option, or, or cheap, as a normal person would call it, um, but actually it isn't. Like you know, you find yourself spending just as much to, I don't know, fi- you know, stay in a nice hotel in 
Yorkshire as you would with flights and staying at an equally nice hotel somewhere in Europe, I guess. And it's, I don't know, I just find it kind of strange. You know, I know the hospitality industry is really struggling in this country at the moment. And, you know, we shouldn't, we should all sort of chip in our, our, our best efforts to sort of help support it. But at the same time, it is, it is difficult because, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're looking for consistent weather, you're not really going to find it in the UK. Having and... said that, though, if you look at Europe last summer, it was so yeah. hot. I mean, unbearably yes, hot, was... inhumanely hot that I wonder if places like the UK and, and places further afield like Scandinavia, where you're probably yeah. going to get into the mid-20s, but that's it. That's when it's hit its ceiling. Maybe they're going to become more popular because I can't think of many people that want to go and sit in 40 degree heat in the middle of the day. No, that's too hot. Way too hot. That's too hot. Um, you're a person from Devon, and it says here that the Glebe House in East Devon is your favourite small hotel in the country. Can you tell us a bit about the Glebe House? Glebe is beautiful. It's It was a and b It was owned by a couple who then sold it on to their son, Hugo, and Hugo's wife, Olive. And... Hugo and Olive couldn't bear to see them sell it. They'd been traveling around. I think they were in Italy at the time, sort of learning the ways of these these sites called agro, I'm going to say it wrong, agroturismos, I think is how you say it. Imagine uh, it in an Italian accent. And Yeah, I'm doing some hand gestures. They yeah. became a big thing in the 50s post-World War II when farms essentially needed to to diversify and they invited people to come and stay on the farm for free and in return they would help out with some of the farm work and it evolved over time to become holidays and in some cases really high-end luxury holidays on these farms and they olive and hugo they've bought this principal to glebe in devon so it's a small holding there are pigs chickens huge amounts of homegrown vegetables everything else is sourced very locally and I know lots of hotels say that but everything really is sourced locally Uh and you can go mackerel fishing and then cook your mackerel on the beach and Hugo's kind of big passion is charcuterie so you can go and learn how we've got that in common yeah yeah you can well this is your place you can go and learn all about it how to cure the meat there's a bakery on site and the interiors are all inspired by charleston which is a house in east sussex that was lived in by some of the bloomsbury group so this sort of amazing mishmash of print and pattern and, and color that's really beautiful and it feels very english um but in quite a cool, cool, not fasty at all way. And there's just something very special. It's one of those places, and there's not many hotels like this in the world, or B&Bs, where you walk in and it just feels special. It's that sort of magical 10% that's really hard to articulate. Um, Rosie Patterson, how do I, as a cheapskate, get into a first-class lounge without paying for it? You get the right credit card. (laughs) But I think you might be getting at something else. (laughs) You can claim to be ill at the airport. 
and to get yourself an upgrade. Um, I have heard that it's worked a couple of times before, but I obviously would not go on the record and say I would recommend it. Yeah. Do with that information what you will. Be really nice. Other than that, I think it's just potluck. Potluck. But you you are a person who says it is always worth paying for an upgrade if you know, if you're flying long haul. Yeah, if it's more than six hours and it's overnight, a hundred percent. And it doesn't bankrupt you, obviously. A hundred percent. I am constantly baffled by the fact that we've created something as amazing as flight and then made it quite so hideous to actually do. And I think it's a real shame if you go on this amazing holiday and you've paid quite a lot of money to go on this amazing holiday and then the journey back is so hideous and so uncomfortable that by the time you get home, you don't feel like you've had a holiday at all. So maybe maybe I should say pay for the upgrade on the way back and just lump it on the way out because you have the amazing holiday to look forward to. Yeah, that's a good bit of advice. You're not sort of like a high-end Martin Lewis, Rosie. Any other any other tips you've got for our listeners? I did learn the other day that although your taste buds are dulled at altitude, the ones that pick uh-huh. up on umami, umami or umami flavors. Umami, umami. There we go. Glad you're here. Those ones are enhanced at altitude. So basically, we should all be drinking Bloody Marys and eating sushi. 33,000 feet up. And and just the rest of the There's time, your... if you ask me. Just all well, the... and the rest of the time. But apparently it tastes even better right. on a plane. Um, what else? Always sit on the right-hand side of an airplane if you're flying into London. You get the best view of London. Even if it's cloudy as you come through the clouds, it looks pretty spectacular. That would be my, my other top tip. Oh, always pack um, a spare got... pair of pants. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt, but that's the most important no, one. Your luggage yeah. will go missing at one point in your life. And you're going to wish that you, A, have a spare pair of pants to just then leave in a hotel room when you check out and in your carry-on. And B, always take a swimsuit in your carry-on bag as well. I always have a yeah. swimsuit whenever I travel because if your bag does go missing, you want to be able to use the swimming pool, especially if you're going somewhere hot. Yeah, and a toothbrush maybe, just to sort of round it all off? You can buy a toothbrush yeah. anywhere. Yes, okay. I haven't been anywhere in the world where there hasn't been a toothbrush for sale at an airport. Pants and a swimsuit, on the other hand, much harder to get hold of. Yeah, no, that's that's top consumer advice right there. Um, I guess we're going to finish up, if that's okay, with the big question, uh, Rosie, which is sustainability. I mean, all of this sounds fantastically nice and lovely, but... I think it's just a sort of acceptable fact these days that flying to Australia, New Zealand, wherever it might be, is considered uh, bad for the environment. Is there how how do you think travel is going to sort of change in the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years? I think, well, it's a big question. What do I think? Hmm. I it don't, is a big question. I don't think there is such a thing as truly sustainable travel however you want to define sustainability it is inherently bad for the environment cruise ships bad for the environment planes private jets 
are bad for the environment. There's obviously the obvious things you can do, travel by train, uh, especially if you're going through Europe, which has, and mainland Europe has amazing train services and amazing scenery. So it's sort of a pleasurable thing to do, very different to maybe a train in this country, which is somewhat Uh less pleasurable if it ever leaves. Um, And you can, there are hotels that really are trying to make an effort and do do some really great things. I would say travel less. And when you do travel, travel for longer, it's lots of short haul trips that are a lot more carbon heavy on the environment than longer haul ones. You don't have to fly on a private jet. You don't have to fly first class and business class. I've been saying that for years. I've been saying that for years. Damn it. That's your New Year's resolution. Don't fly business class. You don't have to take the private private jet jet every time, yeah. But the higher higher up a class, the higher up a cabin you travel, the bigger your carbon footprint because you're taking up more room, you're taking more luggage. You can ask the hotels you stay in to not wash your bedding and towels every day. A lot of the really high-end big ones still do and it saves a huge amount a a really sort of mind-blowing amount of energy every year when they do stop doing it every single day but beyond that I'd say really research the holidays you go on and really make the most of them because obviously everyone should go on holiday I think it's really good to travel but get the most out Mm -hmm. of the ones that you're going on make them really special and maybe don't go on as many. Very good. So per Rosie Patterson, down with city breaks and up with three-week trips to New Zealand. Yes. I can see <laughs> there might be some backlash to this point. I don't have uh, any of the right answers, um, <laughs> do I? Why are you speaking sure you've, to me? You've had, you've, you've had great answers, Rosie, but I think that's uh, on that wonderful soundbite, that's a fantastic place to end. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Well, hopefully you'll come back very soon. Um, and thank you for listening. It's been another episode of the Country Life podcast. Uh, many thanks to Toby Keel, our editor and producer. And I will see you all again at the next episode. Thank you very much. Thank you.